How's everyone doing? Good. Uh, my, yeah, my name is Boris, if I haven't met you yet. Um, it is really good uh, to be here with you today, and hello, internet people. Uh, still find that really strange. I assume someone's watching, otherwise, no. Uh, that's right. Uh, so, like, like James said, over the next few weeks, we're going to be um, looking at a series on sort of some encounters uh, of Jesus and other people um, in this period of time, sort of from when he resurrected, that like we talked about last week on Easter Sunday, um, to before his ascension. So, why, why look at that period, right? Well, I think that there's actually a lot for us to understand there, right, in terms of what Jesus says to people, what he uh, wants for his disciples during this period, um, and, and what we can learn about the character of Jesus and who he is uh, through what he says and what he does. You know, after all, like in, in Acts, in, verse, in chapter 1, verse 8, you know, disciples are called to be witnesses to Jerusalem, Judea, and to the ends of the earth. So, you know, what are we actually witnesses of, and, and what are we witnessing to? I think it's the question, and hence the title of the series, Eyewitness. The pun was James's idea, <laughs> not mine. Yeah, I just want to make that abundantly clear. Um, what, where we're going to pick off today is literally straight after, almost straight after the, the resurrection, right? So it is later that day, still on the Sunday, um, basically a little bit later in the afternoon. In the morning, the women had visited the tomb. It was empty. The stone had been rolled away. Um, and, and where we join is, um, so these two disciples walking along the road to Emmaus. But before we dive in, I just want to do a quick straw poll. Um, who, watches, who watches Drive to Survive? I'm really worried. This, okay, it's not just Quinn. Perfect. Um, so, I, like, I'm, I'm not a technical F1 fan, so if you're an F1 purist, um, I'm really sorry. Uh, I don't care about how the cars work. I kind of watch Drive to Survive for the drama and for Daniel Ricciardo. Yeah. yeah. Um, I know. I can't believe he hasn't come up in a sermon illustration yet. Uh, so I thought I'd change that. Um, I, I, th- there's this one favorite episode, and this is, um, this is from the first season. So it's like the 2018 season of F1. And basically what had happened is, just, just bear with me for two minutes. Um, in 2017, Daniel Ricciardo was leading the Monaco Grand Prix. And then he went in for a pit stop, and his team just didn't have the tires there for him. So we ended up pitting there for like 10 or 15 seconds waiting for these tires. And then after that, he lost the lead and he didn't win the race. And then he comes back in 2018 and, and it's titled Redemption, where he leads the Monaco Grand Prix again. Um, he is winning. He is on his way. He does a pit stop. Nothing happens. Like he got his tires on, like sigh of relief from the whole team. And then his engine or something, again, not a technical F1 fan, stops working. And he can't get past, like, sixth gear, which means he's going really slow. And so for the next, like, 30 laps, he is trying to just keep his car in the middle of the road so no one can overtake him. He's just kind of holding on. And so I was watching this this episode, and and it was in that moment where I realized I probably can't be an F1 driver. Uh, Just for one, for a few reasons, but for one one reason in particular... (laughs) I think it's like, how do you come back from a loss like 2017? Like, how do you have something just sort of, that was essentially yours, just kind of taken away from you through no fault of your own? Like, it was your team that stuffed up. I guess you have to be a good team player, and you have to just be like, you know, it's all right, we're all in this together, but not really, right? Like, you didn't bring the tires for a pit stop, so I'm not really sure what you're doing. Like, how... how devastating is it when, when something like that happens? And this is just a, a car race, right? You know, I, I just, I, I don't know how I'd bounce back from that, necessarily. When, when winning a race in, in the life of an F1 driver is such a big deal. 
like when something like that just kind of slips away and goes away so quickly, right? From, from a high to a low within like 15 seconds. See, when, when we get to um, this encounter with Jesus in verse 13, Luke 24, uh, when Jesus catches up with these two disciples, so we're told one, one of them's named Cleopas, they're on this road uh, to Emmaus. So there's a town seven miles outside of Jerusalem. Um, they've seen everything happen this weekend, this Easter weekend. They've seen Jesus enter Jerusalem. Uh, they've seen him being handed over to the authorities. They've seen him crucified. And they've just had the worst weekend of their lives. Like, th- this is not just losing Monaco. This is a million times worse. Like, everything that they've believed in and that they've placed their hope in just sort of came to a stop that weekend. Like, this, this is where we join them. So why don't we read verse 13? Now that same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, and seven, uh, about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking with each other about everything that had happened. As they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them. They were kept from recognizing him. He, so Jesus, asked them, what are you discussing together as you walk along? They stood still, their faces downcast. One of them, named Cleopas, asked him, are you the only one visiting Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened here in these days? What things? About Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed, before God and all the people. The chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death. They crucified him. See, they've witnessed all of this. They've seen and felt the betrayal. They've witnessed and seen Christ hanging, crucified on the cross. You know, at this point as well, they've they've even heard of the empty tomb, right? Like the the women visited and then they came back and they've told the disciples, but these guys were just shattered. They were broken, like Jesus to them was dead. I mean, think about this for a second, right? These are disciples. They, They knew what Jesus has been teaching this whole time. But this is still Sunday. Like, if you knew Christ was to rise again in three days, wouldn't you sort of wait it out at least until the end of Sunday, see what happens? Like, this is mid-afternoon Sunday, maybe. Like, why, why wouldn't you hold out? Like, they were broken. They were done. They were, they were leaving early. They were packing it in. It's like leaving midway during a Grand Prix, like 20 laps in, Hamilton's coming 10th. I don't know. I made that up. I'll figure it out on the next season of Drive to Survive. Like, they were walking quite literally away from Jerusalem, right? Away from this place that, that kind of represented the hope that they had put their lives into. They were leaving Jesus and the disciples. They're done. The Bible says that their fa- they stood still. Their faces were downcast. They're just walking home, discussing what's happened, talking about it. You know, the guy who was supposed to make everything happen, seemingly just gone. See, it's, it's interesting because it's at this point that Jesus comes up to them and walks alongside them. And Jesus, like keeping them from recognizing him at this moment, um, enters the conversation with this almost like casual, you know, hey, what are you guys talking about? Uh, and then like, how do, they, how do they respond, right? Like they, they respond by recounting the story, the facts. They, they tell Jesus about Jesus. It's weird. Uh, it's... It's like an undercover boss kind of thing. Um, 
Jesus, you know, they were saying Jesus is a prophet, like he was powerful in word and deed, and then he was handed over by our chief priests and authorities to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him. Like, do you guys find it weird, because I do, that when they get asked, they can literally recount every single thing that's happened, yet they're still defeated and hopeless. Like, they've learned with Jesus this whole time, and they've seen everything play out, but, but they're still hopeless. Like, I feel like if you're able to do that, then you should probably believe that Jesus is, is coming back, right? Especially if you're a disciple. They were told that the tomb was empty, and the stone had been rolled away, and somehow got past the Roman guards. They knew this. So, so how could they be that downcast? How could they be that broken? Let's go to verse 21. So it reads, But we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. And what is more... It is the third day since all of this took place. In addition, some of our women amazed us. They, they went to the tomb early this morning, but they didn't find his body. They came and told us that they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. And some of our companions went to the tomb and found it, just as the women had said, but they did not see Jesus. See, maybe that hoped that Jesus would be, like, the one to save Israel, like, in a way that's, that's like this triumphant king, right? That they would, he would come in, he would raise an army, he would fight the Romans and liberate them. Um, maybe he would give, like, really impressive rallying speeches, Braveheart style, that would, like, just inspire a whole nation to kind of rise up. You know, more than that, like, Jesus was supposed to be risen in the third day, and even though these women told them that the tomb was empty, like, they didn't see Jesus, Right? Like, can, you, can you guys just feel the brokenness there and just the hopelessness? So I think they had all these expectations of what Jesus was supposed to do. Uh, but none of them, none of them eventu- eventuated that weekend. All they saw was Jesus getting arrested, being handed over, and being crucified. They had placed their hopes like in the right person to redeem Israel, right? But I think that the issue is their expectation of what was going to happen was way off. Like they picked the right Messiah for sure, but they've sort of forgotten what really needed to happen here. The expectations were off. So I do wonder, like how how often um, are we completely thrown when things don't go to plan or when... um, or when things just don't meet our expectations, like, and then we just sort of forget what's important, forget the bigger picture, forget why we're, why we're doing certain things. Like so much hope, so much so that we lose hope, we pack it in, we go home, we call it a day. Uh, those situations where like, things are so seemingly going one way and that we are just happy with, like on our way to a Monaco win, and then all of a sudden it's taken away for us. See, for me, I really, like, one really clear moment of that. Like, I was playing a game of Monopoly with my sister once, and uh, the moment she put out her fourth hotel, um, I gave up. I walked away, basically walked to Emmaus. Like, it was done. Um, And then I lost the bigger picture of, hey, this is a game, and you shouldn't flip the board over, (laughs) and you're just spending time with your sister. Yeah, but, but I, I mean, more seriously, like, what are those experiences that you've had where your expectations for your life maybe just weren't met and where it's just so tempting to kind of give up and to go, you know, God doesn't care. You know, what, are, what are even God's intentions here? What's the point? 
you know, may, maybe it's that like that job you wanted or that promotion you worked really hard for and you, you didn't get it. And, and there's just this feeling of, ah, like I feel ripped off Danny Ricardo style. Like the team let me down. You know, we deserved it. Why didn't we get it? Uh, or maybe it's like when we lose hopes, when like relationships don't go our way, when those friends that we had just like aren't the same anymore, or maybe that person we like doesn't like us back. So, so what does that mean? What does that say about me? Why, why doesn't that work? Maybe like when our families don't sort of look ideal and they don't come across like they do on TV and, you know, like perfect couple, perfect kids, perfect grandparents. And, and you know, my family, it's just hard to deal with. Like, it's a struggle. Like, I want to love them, but it's hard. You know, maybe, maybe it's those times where we're just sort of stuck in sin and we can't escape and we go, well, you know, this is not planned. Like, God, you're supposed to be the great redeemer, right? You're supposed to have freed us from this. So why is this still happening? What's going on? You know, God, are you who you say you are in this situation? See, I, I think the problem here isn't that isn't the God that we place our hope in. The, the problem is our expectations of how things will go. Like, it becomes demoralizing and kind of crushing when our expectations aren't really what God has in store for us. But, but we hold these things to be true, and we hold these things uh, to, be, to be most important. So in this passage, though, Jesus addresses that, right? So let's, let's take a look at how. And so I guess my first big point here, can, we go to the, can you click next, is that we need God's word to understand God's intent. Right, so back to the disciples on the road, Jesus walks up to them and asks them, hey, what are you guys talking about? And really, the discussion that these disciples were having was they were just kind of debating their expectation that they had and sort of what they've experienced and how it did or did not live up to the expectations, right, and how it should have played out. And so when Jesus goes, what are you talking about? Jesus is asking, hey, what did you actually expect? Like, what did you think was going to happen this weekend? And then in verse 25, how Jesus deals with it is like a realignment of their expectation, right? So verse 25, it says, he said to them, how foolish you are and how slow to believe all the prophets, uh, all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. See, what Jesus does, like in the face of these disciples' wrong expectations that led to this hopelessness, is to point them back to the scriptures, to point them back to what God has actually said is going to happen. So he reminds them that the Son of Man had to suffer and then enter his glory. Basically, Jesus is saying, well, everything that is happening right now, everything that has happened is according to plan. And then he takes the time to then explain to them everything that Moses has said, that the prophets had said, that the scriptures had said about himself. Like, can you imagine how crazy good a Bible study this would be? By the way, I mean, like, I know your city group leaders do a fantastic job, if I say so myself, but, like, this is... This is pretty crazy. Like, forget your city group leaders. This is Jesus saying, hey, let's do a Bible study on, like, the Old Testament. Like, to have Jesus explaining everything is incredible. And here are two disciples, pretty bummed out, walking home, not even realizing what's happening right now. Like, think about this. It's day one of the resurrection. Um, Jesus had, like, the time, the patience, the dedication to teach scriptures to two of his disciples just on, on the side of the road. You know, it, it was that important 
for these disciples to know properly what the Bible said about the whole whole thing and what it said about Jesus. That he was going to take this time and do it in this way. That everything that was happening is the way it was meant to happen. Like, Jesus here is calling out, right, the trustworthiness of the Scriptures. Like, he is living proof of the Scriptures, that everything that Scriptures say will happen did and will happen. And you can kind of understand why Jesus calls them foolish, though, right? Like, we've already said, it's still Sunday. But the entire um, biblical narrative has been pointing to the fact that Christ came and is going to die, and is going to be, and is going to be risen um, afterwards. You know, he's saying, like, remember what the scriptures say and promise. Like, the, pro- the prophets had said this will happen. Like, it's, it's maybe just not the way that you, that these disciples expected it was going to. And I think what's more important here is, like, what, what the scriptures tells us about Jesus is actually better than what they were expecting, Right? Like, if their expectation was that Jesus was going to be an earthly king that would kick the Romans out and fight for it as well, make them back into, like, a nation in an earthly sense, the Scriptures promise that the Son of God would not only defeat Rome, but would defeat sin and death and save everyone. If our expectations um, is that the things here that we do and that we have will give us satisfaction, that we'll enjoy it... Um, that we would have this perfect vision of what our life is going to be, like a good job, a nice house in Sydney or something. The scriptures promise us that our purpose is to be faithful and we get rewarded in multiples of that in heaven the day we arrive and the day we're told that we're good and faithful servants. Like if our expectations is that we would have a relationship with someone who loves us here and who cares for us, The scriptures promises us a God who cares so much for us and knows us so well that he knows the number of hairs on our heads and that he is a God who is with us. Like, see how this works? Like, God's intentions is actually far greater than what our expectations can ever be. And so there's a reminder that uh, to go back to the scriptures is Jesus realigning the disciples and our expectations. And more importantly than expectations is what we set our hope on. Because It's trustworthy because Jesus, as we see in this story, is alive and he's the ultimate proof of the scriptures. Yeah. So trustworthiness of the scriptures. The the second point here is God approaches and he reveals. Right. See, another another thing about expectations that always gets me is like whenever I read an account of Jesus bumping into someone or encountering Jesus, uh, it it never works out the way that like I expect it to. Um, like, if I were to do a resurrection announcement, I would do it something like the election, election campaign that's happening right now. Like, you would call press conferences, you would do Instagram reels, you'd get Val on that, you'd get Kate to organize an event, there would be rosters, there would be WhatsApp groups, you would get people in a room, right, just to do it and to tell everyone. At the very least, get your disciples in the same room, right? Like, and, and then just go, hey, here I am. Look, stones rolled away, here I am, alive, the whole world knows. But, but not Jesus. Like, he instead chooses two disciples walking home who've given up. These two disciples aren't even part of the main 12, by the way. So they're like the next... I'll, I'll stop there. But 
he just super casually enters this conversation, kind of in the way that I enter a conversation at a party that I'm uncomfortable at, and just kind of go, what are you guys talking about? Like, he, he just enters. It's so normal. It's so everyday, right? It's, it, even though what he is about to say is such a big deal. Like, it's just a weird kind of contrast. But I think this way of intervening that um, Jesus has in, in this instance tells us something about how Jesus works. He enters and he works in the normal, in the everyday. Like he doesn't come with press conferences necessarily. Uh, some of you are probably like me. Like I, I've said this a lot to myself. Like if I have a burning bush, um, I will know for sure what to do and I'll know for sure that it's you, God, and, and I'll be happy. Or like, yep, you know, part the Sydney Harbour for me and I'll have faith and I'll believe you. Um, or do this, like, really specific thing for me in this really specific situation, and, uh, and you've got me, Jesus. Like, I, I will follow you to the ends of the earth. Like, uh, hopefully that sounds familiar. But you know what? Like, I'm not saying that can't happen, but I think Jesus is actually a lot more subtle than that, right? Like, he walks into these disciples' lives. They're literally just going about doing what they're supposed to do. They're just going home. So it's kind of like him just getting into our car and speaking to us. He walks alongside he speaks to them in truth. He opens up scripture with them and then has a meal with them. So verse 30, when he was at the table with them, he took bread, he gave thanks, broke it, and began to give it to them. Their eyes were opened and they recognized him and he disappeared from their sight. They asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us while he talked to us uh, on the road and opened the scriptures to us? See, when Jesus spoke with them and taught them the scriptures, like they felt it. Their hearts burned within them. There was something more than just reading a book. God worked in them in the ordinary, in the everyday situations, and he does that in situations where maybe we don't equate it normally to God working. He is a God who promises that he is with us, and so he is at work in us, you know, on our way to the train, when we're meeting our friends, when we're having the worst day at work or when we're having a great day at home. He is working in us. And then Jesus asks about our expectations, revealing to us what the Scripture says, reminding us of what the promises are and therefore what our expectations should be. Like He, he is the fulfillment of all of these promises and is here to work in us. And then for these two disciples, when Jesus intervened, they were at the absolute low point of their lives maybe, Right? Like, they were feeling their worst. Their expectations were shattered. They were hopeless. And that's where Jesus steps in to their ordinary daily life. See, I, I think we always expect God working to look a certain way. Like, I, I don't know if it's like in a miraculous form or just something really obvious and really great. Maybe it's like a really, really good city group one night or an especially tight worship session. Um, or we get that job, or we make a decision, and, and everything seems to go well. I think we learn from this that it's not always like that. How Jesus works in this example is he opens up the scriptures, he asks questions of us, he challenges what we expect and what we think, and then, you know, there, there isn't a big fanfare, there isn't a burning bush. Jesus is just working, opening up scriptures, changing, changing hearts with the scriptures. So I think it's worth asking at this point, right? Like, 
what is it that maybe you feel that Jesus might be working out in your life? Maybe that just you haven't quite put your finger on yet. You know, maybe where is he highlighting Scripture to you or prompting you to do something or reminding you of the promises that he's given you uh, in, from the Scriptures? Because I, I think we often don't realize what, what's happening until after the fact, right? Like hindsight's twenty twenty. Like for these two disciples, it wasn't until Jesus sat down at dinner with them, broke bread with them in a really obvious parallel to the Last Supper that they realized and they fully then grasped what was happening, like that Jesus was with them, that in that moment, like all of the scriptures they had read, that they had learned, they'd followed Jesus for years, it's true, right? And, and so the Lord has risen and appeared and then they, they weren't downcast anymore. They got up, they got excited, they went back to Jerusalem, like the place where they uh, felt hope, right? And then they go back and they go to the 11, they tell them what's happened, and they declare it. Like, upon Jesus revealing himself, they get excited, they get motivated, they have hope again, and they go declare it to the world. Like, I think it's never um, glorious looking, or like, you know, not always looking like prophecy fulfilled when, um, when Jesus is working in us and we're in the middle of it. Um, when we're in the thick of things and when hope feels like it's lost, it's just hard. Like, we just want to go home. Um, and so it doesn't look like Jesus is there. This is what we get from this encounter, right? That even when we're hopeless, uh, ready to pack it in, Jesus intervenes. He reminds us of his promises, of who he is, our saviour, light in the darkness. He's our living hope. And he's working in us and through us. Like he, in this encounter, we know he's a God who's going to remind you constantly to place your hope in him through the scriptures. And in this encounter, we know that we've got a God who's always working, always working, even if we don't realize it just yet. So I guess I just want to encourage you, church, like as a church, let's, let's take hope in that, right? That even when it seems like it's your lowest point or when we just don't see him, that he's working and he intervenes. He walks alongside and he will, at some point, make himself known. And hopefully that we'd be people who just recognize him and, and pause long enough to recognize him, to get excited and to place a hope on him and then run back to the city to Chatswood and to tell other people about him. Let me pray. Lord, we thank you that you're a God who works, a God who cares, a God who is our hope above anything else uh, that we can reach out to in this world. Uh, Lord, thank you that you are risen, Lord, that the scriptures are not a lie, but Lord, that you are the ultimate proof that you are a God who keeps your word and you're a God who saves, who redeems, um, who cares, who loves. Uh, Lord, we pray that we'll be a church who just remembers that and, and holds our hope, hangs our hope on these promises that you give um, and not the world, not what the world tells us, Lord. Help us to rejoice in that, to sing out to you in that, and to just live our lives praising you for that. Amen.